As we gather today, we are in the heart of Advent, week three, and uh, in the middle of all our preparations, I trust that your anticipation for Christmas is building. That's what these candles signify for us. It's nice to see three of them lit now, one with an especially big flame there for a little while. Well done, Dwayne. Burning a little firewood, too. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's what this season's meant to do in our hearts. We are meant to kind of build in anticipation build in preparation, but also not as the world does, not in just ways that you do all your present buying and you get your food in place and figure out how you're going to do that in light of all the COVID restrictions and everything, but that also there is time that you're taking to uh, consider Jesus in the midst of all this in many different ways, in, in music, in scripture, in worship, that you take time. This is a, a spiritual discipline time of year when you take some time to actually consider what it means that Jesus was born into this world. And so there's all kinds of different preparations that get made. And so we take time in our services to stop and consider that. And so far we've touched on the themes of peace and of hope in the past couple of weeks. And today we get to focus on joy and to consider what that means in this season for us and to think about the joy of Advent. And in my preparation, I got thinking about just what joy actually is. What, is it, what does it mean to be a joyful person? What, what brings me joy? How do you define joy? I started off going to the Oxford Online Dictionary. And joy is very simply defined there as the feeling or a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And no doubt that's where you begin. If you think about joy, it is an emotion, first of all. It is that emotion, there's a, there's a light-heartedness that uh, enters in. We think about being joyful, there's, there's that which gives us contentment, there's a sense of hope that goes along with it, and so what brings those feelings along? And I got thinking about that in my own life, there's those moments of love, of accomplishment, just of, of having fun can bring us joy. Relationships should be bringing us joy. I think of the relationships of my life, my wife, and my kids, and my grandkids even, to understand the love that is expressed towards me, to, to be with my wife and see her care that she takes for all, especially in this season, all the details of this season, making sure that everything is right and that we are sort of blessing our kids and our family and our friends and doing things around the house. There's just a great joy in who she is and what she brings into my life. The joy of my kids. Uh, we are in a season, my daughter uh, got engaged back in, I shouldn't even think, she got engaged a few weeks ago. I'm never good with dates and things. She's now engaged, which is a great thing of joy for us. And to just be in that process with her, so the wedding's coming up in March and plans getting made and things like that. Uh, for my kids, uh, a number of you know my son Ian, have been praying along with us as a family. Uh, that he, uh, as a pastor and the church closed down, he's been looking this year. And today, he's being introduced at a church in London, Ontario, and as uh, their new associate pastor. He's officially going to start that in February. So there's just a great joy in seeing God take care of our kids and to see those accomplishments in their hearts and in their lives and seeing how they're developing. And of course, grandkids, a grandfather, four grandkids, and just the joy of uh, being with them. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the three kids that live here in Ontario, one our other granddaughters out west, but they were here and we got down to the basement and we started building pillow forts. 
Is there anything better than building pillow forts, right? And we have a, we've got couches in the basement, and you tear the pillows off. And I got right into it with them. And so I was building more pillows, and I actually got a mattress out, and I got an air mattress out, and we added that into the pile. And we had a fort. Like, it was unbelievable how great this fort was. And I had blankets over it, and we were just having a great time. And my knee was kind of bothering me that day, so I wasn't getting down on the floor and kind of crawling into the fort with them. So they were in there, and they were playing some game. They really complicated the games they get into, but it was very imaginative. I was kind of sitting outside the fort, and all of a sudden a voice comes from inside saying, okay, Grandpa, you can leave now. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, what's this? I built this thing. Like, you you can't just ask me to leave. So with great joy in my heart, I kick the side of the fort in. <laughs> and it collapsed on top of them. And the pillows were everywhere and screams of laughter and joy. And, you know, that was just a great moment. Great joy in my heart, just being a part of all that. And even bigger joy, just to remind him, I still am the grandpa. <laughs> right? And stick it to him that way. Great joy in all those kinds of relationships. I mean, we find joy in just other strange things and things that you love. I, uh, I like music, so I love, going on, I love going on YouTube and searching out Christmas music and virtual choirs during this whole COVID thing, watching just the huge variety of choirs that have been putting together and these huge numbers of voices and very creative stuff that they do with that. And, you know, you get on YouTube and follow those little rabbit trails. You listen to one that puts four more up, and you start listening to all those. And I also am a, I'm a, I'm a secret tap dancer, although I can't tap dance. But I love tap dancing. I love just the whole thing of tap dancing. And YouTube has an amazing variety of people that dance. And so I can get going, and I can just I can sit at YouTube for far too long, just going through all these. There's a great one right now where somebody, people have far too much time on their hands. Somebody has taken a whole string of old movie dance clips and put it to new music, right? And it's amazing what they've done with that. And there's, there's, well, I don't know how many there are. I've probably watched about 10 of them. But (laughs) I can spend time doing that. It's joy, right? It just kind of bubbles up within me and I smile and Diana calls down and says, what are you watching now? And I have to confess. (laughs) I'm watching more dancing. Right? So there's things like that. It brings joy. There's there's just something that does for me. So it's in those kind of things. Joy comes out of other things. Relationships. Comes out of just things that we like doing. Brings us pleasure. Uh, For me, it's accomplishment. It's getting things done. I love helping other people. I love doing jobs for people and getting a job finished. I love just getting things accomplished and you know part of part of my role in getting all this building done is just seeing things get done and every day you come in to kind of get one more thing checked off and there's a joy in all of that for me but as i say that i also pause and i think there's more to joy than just that emotion when we use the word joy it's a bigger word than just that It's a bigger word than just that sense of feeling good about something. It's a bigger word than just kind of having a sense of an emotional response to the things that are happening around me. It's more than just having to wait for something to happen to experience joy. Joy has a sense of character. 
It has a sense of being a life virtue. When you think about it scripturally, in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy, right? Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are virtues of life. These are character qualities. And these are the things that God's Spirit, as we come in confession of Jesus Christ, begins to develop in our hearts and our lives. That God's Spirit wants to see this as a part of who we are. That God, as He transforms us into the image of Christ, develops within us joy. That can't be just an emotion. That can't just be that the fruit of the Spirit kind of pokes me every once in a while and says, are you feeling good? You know, enjoy this. No, joy has to be broader than that. There's something about a characteristic that develops within my life that is joyous. A joyous person seems to have the capacity of seeing the hopeful side of things. And joy and hope, I think, are very closely connected. A joyous person seems to have a way of staying loose, of relaxed and stress-free. And I have to confess, I'm not always that person. Like I said, I, I, get a, I like to have a get-the-job-done kind of experience. Uh, my wife talks about, I have a face that I put on. She knows when I'm in that mode. She knows when I'm in the mode of, let's get her done, right? Let's make sure this is happening, and I kind of put my head down and do it. Uh, she says she knows that about my church life and experience. There's days when I am just in that mode of, okay, you are working hard just to get things done. And it's the reminder for me, but am I experiencing joy in the midst of that? Before the first service, Dwayne talked about all the sound issues we were having and just running around as the service is getting started, getting ladders, getting sound equipment, getting all of that kind of stuff. And I had to stop and say, Lord, where's the joy in this? I mean, I'm preaching on this in a few minutes. Can I actually stop and say, how is joy to be experienced even in the midst of the hecticness of things? It's why studies have been made on joyful people and the idea of joy that it's beyond just that characteristic. Its studies show that joyful people have less chance of having a heart attack. They maintain a healthier blood pressure. They tend to have lower cholesterol levels. There's research to show that pure joy boosts our immune system, fights stress and pain, and improves our chance of living a longer life. You know, joy actually physically does something for us. That if we can maintain a sense of joy. So where does that all come from? Some people who have lived out of joy in hard circumstances in their life have said these kind of things. Helen Keller, if uh, you don't know her story, she was uh, born in the late 1800s when she was about two years old, got a uh, very serious illness and lost both her sight and her hearing. And as this young girl then had to learn how to speak and how to communicate and went through some very difficult times as a child, but through the help of a lady by the name of uh, Sullivan, they, she grew and she actually ended up with college degrees and being just a great advocate for the, for the deaf and for the blind. And, you know, an amazing life story, story. And she said this about joy. She described joy as the holy fire that keeps our purpose warm and our intelligence aglow. Isn't that a great statement? Joy is that holy fire that keeps purpose warm and intelligence aglow. 
there's something that dwells within us that kindles something else. And it's birthed in joy and awareness of something that is granted to us. Mother Teresa wrote this, Joy is prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love by which you can catch souls. <laughs> a lady that had incredible influence for the poor and those impoverished. And she carried with her that sense of joy even in the midst of incredible hardship, incredible poverty. C.S. Lewis wrote this after the death of his wife, and he referred to joy as the serious business of heaven. I think that's a great comment. That joy is the serious business of heaven. That joy is what heaven seeks to instill within us and grant to us. Rick Warren, another pastor. i got a couple more just trying to get the, a handle that joy is bigger than just that emotion. Pastor down in California, he described joy this way. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Not much emotion in that, is there? There's not much just that joy is birthed out of feeling. Joy is birthed or is, is found in settled assurance, quiet confidence, determined choice that God is in control. That God is a part of everything that uh, he was seeking to um, accomplish and to be. Rachel Carmen, an author who writes on parenting, she wrote this, joy sees beyond a circumstance or a situation. Joy focuses on forever instead of the fleeting. Joy rests in him who holds the future, in him who alone is able in the hope of the nations. Joy does not wait on things to change. It changes things because of its confidence in God's love. Joy looks beyond now to the future. Joy is that which drives us to say there is a confidence and there is a, a reality that we can know that goes beyond just what is happening in the here and now. I think that's a perfect description of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 when it says that we are to look to Jesus or consider Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, right? For the suffering of the cross he was able to endure it because there was joy set before him. And as Dwayne has often said, and I love how he's always said, and I quote him a lot in this, that what is that joy that was before him? It was us. Right? The joy that Jesus saw was his church. It was the bride. It was you that he died for. And he was willing to go to that cross. He endured the suffering and the pain and all that that was to be experienced because there was a joy that was beyond it. And joy gave him the endurance and the strength that his future church, his bride, the people of salvation are the ones that he was thinking about. So it's not surprising that one of the themes that gets celebrated during Advent is this one of joy. Because as we understand the coming of Jesus into this world, it is the God of this universe providing for our future and meeting us in our present. It is God entering into history. So much is established in this moment when Jesus is born in that, that tiny uh, manger in Bethlehem. So much of God's salvation for us, or God's salvation is established there. God enters into history. 
And it's the great announcement to the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem on that first Christmas Eve by the angel of the Lord. When the angel appears to them out of the night sky and there's a glory that shines around them. And they say, don't be afraid. Do not fear, for I bring you good news of what? Great, what is it? Joy. Right? We know that. We quote it. We hear it all the time. It's, the, it's packed into Christmas. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. An incredible announcement. An announcement of good news, of great joy, a source of deep confidence, focusing on the forever, brings pleasure and happiness for all of you, for all of the people. A Savior is being born. And in that announcement, they are, they are bringing to the shepherds, they are bringing to the people of this earth that God is at work, that God is on the move. A Savior is born. And I would suggest to you this morning that salvation is the ultimate maker of joy. And we need to cultivate it within our hearts and our lives to remind ourselves often of what this salvation entails. That that joy that God is bringing to us is fixed right into that he offers us a relationship with him. One of the great songs of Christmas, O Holy Night, says it this way. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Can you sing it? Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Stop right there. You hear this is a pandemic carol? The weary world rejoices. I mean, God was moving in the darkness of that night with the shepherds into that little town outside or just outside of Bethlehem. The world was weary. The world was feeling the weight of being set apart from God at that time. The nation of Israel was feeling the weight of, of Rome being against them. You know, and the angel makes this declaration, great news of great joy, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And then it goes on, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Right? There's the news. Something new is happening, a glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh, here. I won't keep going. It's going to get too high. All right, we'll stop there. I won't strain your ears trying to hit those high notes, right? But, oh, night divine, a new and glorious morn is upon us. And shepherds, people, understand that this is what's happening. And we need to understand the, the breaking down of a pent-up slew of hopefulness, the breaking of disappointments and expectations, after decades of God really feeling like he was silent and apart, is breaking into this world in a way that they could not fully understand on that night. A brand new thing is happening. And God is ushering in this whole new realm, a new covenant of salvation. 
And I'd like to trace a little bit of that theme just for us for a few minutes this morning. To think about that salvation and, and the understanding of this new thing that was about to happen and why it's all seen in Advent and why we prepare and why we celebrate it with joy. So I'm going to take you back first to the book of Leviticus. Probably not the first book you turn to when you're thinking about Christmas. But if you go back to Leviticus chapter 9, in Leviticus you have the beginning of the whole priestly ministry, the laws being given, the Ten Commandments, and the whole uh, civil law and the moral code and the sacrificial system is being established. The tabernacle is being built, the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. And all of this is being provided by God so that the people might have a way of approach. That the people know what it is to come to God. See, before then, you can't come to God in any way. What, what was it? God was ultimately holy and you were a sinner. But now he's saying, here, here's how you approach. Here's how you can come before me. Here's how your sin can be taken care of and, and, uh, and set free from that. The nation that was coming out of slavery, feeling like God had abandoned them. Abraham and his heritage are a distant memory. But now at Mount Sinai, there is a new beginning for them. And we read at the end of Leviticus 9, as Moses is shifting really a sense of some of his duties and his power over to Aaron, that God is establishing a priestly ministry. We read there that Aaron lifts his hands towards the people and blesses them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Know what those three offerings are. When he offers the sin offering, it's self-explanatory. It's, it's the offering for... Dave's going like this, me too. He's offering for our sin. It's about atonement. It's about forgiveness. It's about God entering into our lives and offering us a way of approach to him that our sin can be covered by the blood. And then there was the burnt offering. The burnt offering is about God, about us lifting our petitions and our praises to God and saying, oh God, hear us and bless us. And there was the fellowship offering. It's a, an offering of communion. It's an offering of saying, oh God, we look for your blessing in your presence. So Aaron, having offered all of these sacrifices, comes down before the people. And he steps down, and Moses and Aaron, we continue to read, go into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. Their prayers have been heard and received, and the fat portions on the altar... And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy. They shout for joy. They were overwhelmed that God has met them and blessed them. That God has moved into their lives in salvation and fell face down. They shout, Yahoo. <laughs> you know, they're overwhelmed that God has moved. There's a deep pleasure and hope for the for the future, they've experienced forgiveness, they're understanding communion, and they know that God is now among them. And as that dawns on them, it dawns on them that God is now there with them, they fall face down. They fell into a joy-stoked worship in the fear of the Lord. They understood salvation. They understood God's 
precious gift of grace in their hearts and their lives. And this is where Advent takes us. Advent takes us every year to this place where we understand the hope that God is providing the perfect approach. That God is giving us His Son. That in His Son is the sacrifice for our sins. In His Son is the one who is going to be our go-between. In His Son is the one who grants us this eternal relationship with God. It's about joy. It's about what God has given us. And for Israel, this is all through the law. And the law was not a perfect gift for them. The law in Galatians, we're told, is just a guardian. It's a tutor to bring us to Christ. And so there was always something more that they were longing for as they understood the law. The law was there that they might see their sin and long for a relationship. But it offered them an approach to God and to come into his presence. But there was a longing for more. There was a longing that God would do even more for them. And you skip ahead many years. You skip ahead through the kingdoms and some of the kings and you come to the time of David. You come to the time of David when the ark signifying the presence of God has been missing, has not been a part of Israel's history and worship for a long time. And then David says, let's go find it. And you know that whole story or you go back into Samuel and read about it that they brought the ark and David brought it back into Jerusalem. And in bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, there's this whole picture, the whole significance of crying out and seeing that God is being brought in back into the center of who they are as a nation, that his presence would once more be with them. And in 1 Chronicles 16, David gives this wonderful hymn of praise to God as the ark is brought down and comes to Jerusalem. And he says, sing to the Lord, all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He is the creator. And we are bringing him, and he is here present with us. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. I mean, David is just going overboard here. He's saying we should all and everything be in praise and wonder and glory that God is here among us and reigning. The Lord reigns. Be jubilant. Rejoice. All the nation, all the earth, all of creation. God is here present. And we are celebrating. We are rejoicing that God is now among us. Let's worship him together. And isn't that where Advent brings us? And it's not an ark. It's not something that is 
sort of outside of where we are, but God is saying, I am coming and will be among you. Advent takes us to the place where the Lord God is back in the house, where God is taking up his dwelling place among us. Jesus is to have the name Emmanuel. Why? What does that mean? God with us. The great hope where true joy is found, the ultimate confidence that God is in control. Can you imagine if David was one of those shepherds on that hillside that night? Can you imagine if David saw the angel and heard about this coming one who was being born, the king in the little manger? Well, David actually did have a glimpse into that. He wrote many psalms that had glimpses of this coming Messiah, the one who was going to fulfill his kingdom, who was going to fulfill all that David dreamed of but could not entirely fulfill. Psalm 98, he wrote, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. You may recognize in those words what Isaac Watts did, because then he went and penned the song, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. That's what David is saying in Psalm 98. Rejoice, the king is born. Let all the earth, all the nations, creation itself, rejoice that the king has returned, that his promises are being fulfilled. And in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that David looked forward to. And this is where Advent takes us, that our king, our savior, the Lord has come and dwelt among us, that our salvation might be complete and be fulfilled. That in the Messiah, in the Christ, all the Old Testament promises have come through. That all the Old Testament, the wonderful moments where salvation and the Lord's presence and his kingly reign are touched upon and they saw moments of it. We look back and we see it fulfilled. We see it fulfilled because in this baby, Christ the Lord, God has come. Emmanuel, God with us. And through faith in his miraculous birth, through faith in his saving death on a cross, through a faith and understanding of his glorious resurrection from the dead, we participate in an eternal life, a forever relationship with the living God. And that's the good news that continues on for all the world. And joy is a natural response, but we need to remind ourselves we need to continue on and, and understand that in our salvation is the heart of joy for us because it says God is in control. And it's an astonishing, continuing thing of wonder and mystery. God became human and took on the form of this babe that came and laid in a manger. And he did all that so that he might become the once-for-all sacrifice that grants us an approach into the very presence of God. That it's in Him that we have the hope and the finality of salvation. That it's in Him and all that He accomplished in God granting us 
a, a Savior that we are able to sit here today and celebrate and understand a joy that says He is in charge, He is in control, and He has become one of us. Jamie, you and the team can come back up. You see, the Advent theme of joy is all birthed out of our salvation. The question for you today, of course, is just that simple. Is, is that a reality for you? You understand that you've been saved through the blood and the life of Jesus Christ. And you understand that the King has come and is coming again. And joy to the world, joy to the world and joy in our hearts is birthed out of that reality. Tim Keller is a master at putting huge ideas into very small packages. In his writings, it's why I enjoy reading them. It's why I enjoy listening to them. And as I was working on this message in the past week, I came across a, a blog that he, he wrote. I didn't have a date for it, but when I printed it out, it's only two pages long. But in that blog, what he was doing was summing up the practical difference it makes that Jesus was not simply a divine figure, but a real human being. He was practically saying, what is the difference that incarnation makes in our lives. And he was just so succinct in it that because Jesus is God and because Jesus is man, this is the difference it makes. And this is his last paragraph. And he just sums it up this way. And this is the heart of our joy in this season. If Jesus is God himself become human, we live with an irrepressible, infallible hope. And someday all deformity, decay, sin, disease, imperfection will be wiped away. Whatever problem we face, whether disease or injustice or in some other suffering, eventually God's power will triumph over it. Weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Jesus is God, and that means God has landed. Jesus is man. That means God cares for us. God has become human. The ideal has penetrated the real and is transforming it into his likeness. And the world is destined for joy sooner or later, and so are all those who love and long for his appearing. Ours is the joyful privilege to share in that good news, to love and long for his appearing. To be those are his, his declares. As Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 52, he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. That's us. That's in this Advent season, and especially in this moment of joy. We have great news of great joy for all the world. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, your son. Thank you for giving him to us that in his, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, that we can know the hope of eternity, that we can understand your presence with us, and we can be filled to a full measure of a joy that resides with us through whatever suffering or Difficult circumstances that come upon us, God, the heart of who we are in Christ is that we have a hope that cannot be taken away. Remind us of these things today, God. Help us to experience your presence. Help us to know you are here with us, nudging us always towards 
that image of Christ who, who dwells with us by His Spirit. Thank you for all this, in Christ's name.